go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, uh, November the 25th. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we take a look at the readings for the coming Sunday, which is a new church year. First Sunday in Advent is December the 1st in the year of our Lord, 2019. What does this mean, a new church year? We, at least on Law and Gospel and many churches, follow a three-year system of readings. The first year focuses on the gospel according to Matthew. The second year, the gospel according to Mark. The third year, which we just ended, the gospel according to Luke. And throughout the three years, the gospel of John is intermixed. So the church year doesn't follow the calendar year, which begins, of course, on January the 1st through December 31st. It instead begins on the first Sunday in Advent, and then goes through the particular seasons. Uh, following Advent, of course, is Epiphany and then Lent and uh, the wonderful days in Lent, including Holy Week, uh, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, followed by Trinity Sunday, uh, of course, uh, the Pentecost and uh, the Sundays of Pentecost. So we're taking a look at the very first Sunday in Advent, Season A, which therefore focuses on Matthew. There's two readings from Matthew, uh, Matthew 21 and 24. There's the epistle from Romans 13. But we're going to be taking a look at Isaiah chapter 2. It begins, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Many scholars would consider that the most theological book in the New Testament is Romans. If you really want to have a good understanding of the work of Christ and the finished work of Christ, you would read Romans. I often will tell people that's the first book of the Bible they should read. But in the Old Testament, I would consider the greatest theological book to be that of Isaiah. I'm sure Jesus used that a lot on the road to Emmaus when he was talking to the two disciples, because what was he telling them? He was telling them the necessity of his crucifixion, because they were totally confused about that. And remember from Isaiah, the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity, that is our sins, of us all. And so those two disciples, their heart burned within them as Jesus explained the necessity of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and his forthcoming ascension. So Isaiah, wonderful prophet, is talking about Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Judah, of course, is that nation that stayed in Jerusalem. The upper 10 tribes have been taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and pretty soon the Babylonians would be taking Judah into captivity because of their unbelief. So 
this part of Isaiah chapter 2, 1 to 5, is talking about, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, that also can be understood as in the days to come. And what does Isaiah say? That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Now, this is why in the Bible, when somebody is going to Jerusalem, they're always talking about, I'm going up to Jerusalem. And it doesn't matter if they're coming from the west, the east, the south, or the north, because Jerusalem was built on a mountain. And it is going to be the highest of the mountains. Now, unfortunately, there are some Christians who think that Isaiah is talking about today and that Israel should be protected as we look forward to the day when all the nations shall flow to that nation of Israel. But that's not what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about in the latter days. And of course, the latter days would be judgment day and afterward that Jerusalem will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be our heavenly location, and all the nations shall flow to it. Now, it doesn't say that everyone in all the nations, but it won't matter if you're Jew, if you're Gentile, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, verse 3, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Now, the idea of going up into the mountain is actually a technical term for a pilgrimage. So even today, Americans like going over to Israel to see the roads where Jesus walked and the places from where he preached, and we would call that a kind of a pilgrimage. It does not help you get to heaven. You're only going to heaven because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did all the work, so heaven is our home. But we may even go to Israel today in order that we might more understand the ways of Jesus and walk in his paths. So, out of Zion, and that, of course, is the name for Jerusalem, Mount Zion, shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, unfortunately in the English, we have one word, law. And it actually can translate about 10 understandings of law from the Bible. You don't know what understanding of the law is being spoken of until you look at the context. So when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai carrying the law, we know that the word law there refers to the Ten Commandments. 
Then he gives laws concerning ceremonial rites. That's another set of laws. And then, of course, you have civil laws, and those would be dealing with what happens when someone commits a crime. There were certain laws. Then you have the three uses of the law. The use of the law of the government is to curb violence and keep peace. The theological use, the second use of the law, is to show a people their sins like a mirror so they realize the necessity for a savior. And the third use of the law is simply one of information. What would God have me do in this situation? And the law, therefore, gives us insight into God's way. Now here, out of Zion shall go the law. A lot of times in the Hebrew, the word is Torah. In the Greek, it's nomos. And it refers to the complete teaching of the law. For example, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're called the books of Moses, but it's very clear that these books also deal with the gospel. Take a look at Genesis 3.15. Take a look at the promises to Abraham, where a Messiah will be coming through the seed of Isaac. So the word law can include both law and gospel, the law being accusation, the gospel being the good news. And therefore, here we have, when it speaks of the law, out of Zion shall go the law, it is then described by, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So notice that we go up to the mountain, to the house of God, not that we can teach Jesus, but that he can teach us that we may walk in his paths. Now, what does the word path mean? Jesus talks about there's a broad way and a narrow way. The broad way is the way that every religion in the world attempts to travel by doing good works in order to earn God's respect and maybe be saved. Whereas the narrow way is, of course, the way of Jesus where we repent of our sins and God declares us to be forgiven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, this isn't talking about the Jerusalem that we're aware of today here on earth. It's talking about the new Jerusalem. Verse 4 kind of describes that. He, referring to Jesus, shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Now, how are disputes often decided today? They're decided through war. And so people arm themselves in order to fight against those with whom they would disagree. But not in verse 4. The Lord is going to decide disputes And the people 
shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So this is obviously a picture of the new Jerusalem in which we will live eternally with Jesus Christ as the king of all creation. Therefore, verse 14, so put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What's it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? It's really to be involved in worship, to be involved in hearing the word of God on earth. And the more you hear the word of God, the less you wanna make provision for the ways of the flesh, which are the sinful ways in order to gratify its desires. The Christian ends up with quite a different understanding of reality. You may see the body of a loved one in a casket at a funeral, but you know, hopefully from the sermon and the Bible readings, that that person is in the spirit in heaven, awaiting the time when the body will be rejoined with the spirit. So we as Christians have a quite different understanding. Now, one of the important parts of the Reformation, one of the solas, that means only, you know, only faith, only grace, only Christ, but another one was only the scriptures. And from that sola or that alone, we learn that we must understand the Bible only by the scripture explaining the Bible. So even in Isaiah, we find a description and an explanation, and I would encourage certain verses to be used. Uh, the one in Isaiah I'm looking at is chapter 11, just a few chapters after Isaiah 2. And here it talks about, even more specifically, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's the importance of the book of Ruth. Had Ruth not married Boaz, the line to Jesus would have been interrupted and nobody would be saved. But when Ruth and Boaz were married, they had a son called Obed and he had a son called Jesse and he had a son called David. And through David, of course, the promises made that the Messiah will come. The Messiah is none other than Jesus Christ. And his delight, verse three, shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes, but by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, 
he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, it's this chapter 11 that shows us that this new Jerusalem is not here on earth. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So there are many other passages in the book of Isaiah that helps us to understand this new mountain of the Lord is Jerusalem. But if you really want to have a good understanding of this, then you would also go to the New Testament. And probably the best place to look at about this new Jerusalem that Isaiah is talking about is Revelation chapter 21. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven before God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now this is describing what's going to happen in heaven. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And then we have this wonderful promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And there's a lot to do in Revelation 21. In fact, if uh, churches have Bible studies on Sunday, they want to may take a look at this tremendous chapter because it gives some wonderful explanation of the New Jerusalem that Isaiah is talking about. In fact, it talks about the wall of this city has 12 foundations. And guess what? On them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 22 of Revelation 21 says, I see no temple in the city. Now, that's interesting that the new Jerusalem won't have a temple. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So that's the Father and the Son. That's that's beautiful. In fact, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, 
for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, Professor Brighton made the point is the sun is just saying there kind of isn't a need for the sun because by this light of the Lamb, all the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. So this is a, a beautiful picture of the holy city. And in fact, chapter 22 of Revelation continues this picture of the new heavenly place. Because in it, an angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each year now, or each month. Uh, remember, that tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. And one of the reasons God says that he removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden is he did not want them to be eating from the tree of life and living forever in their sinful condition. They would never have died. But the best part of this, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This text really opens up the reason of Advent, which means coming. And we're particularly taking a look at, how shall I put it, three comings. We have one coming. Coming with Jesus into your heart at conversion. And we finally have the coming we're talking about today, namely the day of judgment when the new Jerusalem will be created. That's a great way to begin the season of Advent. And therefore, we encourage you, if you're a pastor, to use Amos or, I'm sorry, to use Isaiah or any of the other lessons to help the people understand what is coming before them. And what is coming before them is the season of Advent. And guess what it's leading to? Of course, the season of Christmas. So, on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we're going to be taking a look at the hymn that's assigned for this first Sunday in Advent. Savior of the nations, come. And there's that word come, meaning Advent. Join with us 
as we illustrate even more about this. God bless. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.